In the world of manufacturing, change is the only constant. How are small and medium-sized manufacturers, SMMs, to keep up with new technologies, regulations, and other important shifts, let alone leverage them to become leaders in their industries? Shifting Gears, a podcast from CMTC, highlights leaders from the modern world of manufacturing, from SMMs to consultants to industry experts. Each quarter, we go deep into topics pertinent to both operating a manufacturing firm and the industry as a whole. Join us to hear about the manufacturing sector's latest trends, groundbreaking technologies, and expert insights to help SMMs in California set themselves apart in this exciting modern world of innovation and change. I'm Greg Profesich, Director of Advanced Manufacturing Technologies at CMTC. I'd like to welcome you. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Ron McFarland, Senior Consultant of Cyber Physical Security Services at CMTC. Ron discusses what a third-party IT provider is, the services they typically provide, and why they tend to be prime targets for cyber attacks. Ron goes on to explain the ways SMMs can make sure they're hiring the right provider, red flags to look out for, and tips to ensure the IT provider is following best practices. Welcome, Ron. It's great to have you here today. Well, it's great to be here. Ron, I'm excited about our conversation today and I'm looking forward to hearing your perspectives and your insights. So let's get started. We're here to talk about cybersecurity risks, but in particular, cyber risks that come from third-party IT providers. Indirect attacks, successful breaches coming into companies through third parties, increased to 61% from 44% in the last several years, according to the World Economic Forum's Global Cybersecurity Outlook 2022. I'm no expert, but that seems to me like a significant number and a significant increase. If I were an SMM who uses a third-party provider, I'd probably be concerned. So to set context for our discussion and for our listeners, can you define what a third-party IT provider is and what services they typically provide? Well, sure. Let me give you a little bit of background first. About three years ago, CMTC did an extensive bit of research on several of our small to medium manufacturers who use IT service providers. Uh, now, with the SMM's agreement, we reviewed over 80, I think actually it was 83 SMMs, and narrowed down our focus to 10 of our SMMs that use IT service providers. We wanted to know how SMMs generally engage with a third-party IT provider in order to highlight the concerns and the opportunities when engaging with an IT service provider. Now, kind of to address your question, a third-party IT provider, also known as an IT services provider, or sometimes called a managed service provider or an MSP, they're an independent company that offers specialized IT services to other businesses like small to medium-sized manufacturers uh, that we serve. These services typically span a variety of technology solutions, which are tailored to meet the needs of the SMM they serve. Now, I have a whole list of uh, variations of what an SMM does provide. And those include things like proactive IT management. Now, this pertains to the remote administration of a company's IT framework and the end user systems. So rather than having an in-house IT department, the SMM can hire either an IT provider or an MSP to handle those day-to-day -day administrative tasks. Also, sometimes the clouds system solutions, an IT service provider can support that. 
However, I just want to note that there are some issues with using cloud service providers that we'll talk about probably a little bit later. Another area that IT providers and MSPs offer is cybersecurity. This includes performing cybersecurity evaluations, overseeing threat detection, uh, let's see, carrying out vulnerability assessments, and responding to security incidents to protect the company's digital assets. Next aspect is data safeguarding and retrieval. This type of service ensures that the critical business data is backed up consistently and can be retrieved promptly in the event of a data loss. Also, IT service provider can support the network configuration and oversight, and this relates to the design, the execution, and the management overall of the company's network to guarantee not only reliability, but connectivity, performance, and cybersecurity management. Another aspect is the tailored software development and synchronization IT service providers and MSP. This they can create custom software to fulfill unique business requirements. And I would say another aspect is hardware and software maintenance. This type of service deals with the diagnosing and preserving a company's hardware and software to ensure peak performance, make sure the patches are updated. The, the hardware is also addressed in terms of security as well. And usually an IT and MSP also supports advisory and strategic planning. Uh, numerous third-party IT providers, for example, can support that strategic guidance to an SMM if that's dialed in. And they can help support technology-related decisions. So, Ron, it sounds like there are an awful lot of things that they can do, and I keep hearing you say the word can. Does every MSP or every third-party IT service provider do all of those things? No. Therein lies the issue. One IT service provider or MSP could offer all or most of the services, whereas another on the other opposite end of the spectrum could only offer, let's say, support for the hardware and software. So we have a variety of IT providers out there some are very sophisticated, while others are a little on the nascent side, if you will. Okay. So, so I hear you saying there's, there's niche providers and then there's kind of full service providers. And I'd imagine if I'm a full service provider, I would probably offer kind of menu pricing. So an SMM could also be saying, out of your 12 services or your eight services, I want these three. Is that true? Not always. Okay. I think the key aspect is that the SMM oftentimes will rely fully and wholly on an IT service provider or an MSP. However, what really needs to be done is a service level agreement between the SMM and the IT service provider, which often isn't done. Now, that whole menu of what the SMM needs isn't typically fully addressed. What we found in our research by most IT service providers. What we found out of uh, interviewing, we did a small subset of 10, as I mentioned, but we also talked to 83 of our SMMs, and we found, for the most part, the IT service providers did not 
fully support all the needs that the SMM required. Okay, so their offering wasn't that exhaustive list you just gave us. It was something less than that. Is that what you're saying? That's true. And mostly in, in terms of the cybersecurity and security for cloud uh, was most of the weaknesses, if you will. A lot of the IT service providers, as an example, would offer what's typically called a flat network architecture. And mm -hmm. also their cloud services weren't up to snuff in terms of cybersecurity. So we worked with a lot, of, and that's what we primarily do is work with our SMMs to tighten up any of those gaps in cybersecurity. Got it. Got it. Okay. So there's a lot of different providers out there. It sounds like they could offer any number of those different services you mentioned. Why would a third-party IT provider or an MSP be the prime target for a cyber attack? Well, think of it this way. First off, they have access to multiple organizations. So an IT service provider could I've seen them range up to where they're offering services to two to 300 clients, but mostly uh, in our space, when working with SMMs, we find our IT service providers are working with anywhere from 10 to 40 or 50 other clients. So think in terms of if you are an attacker, the sweet spot would be to get into one IT service provider and perhaps have access to those records that that IT service provider is managing for that those 30 or 40 SMMs. So it's, that makes it a real sweet spot for the attacker. So if I go hack an individual company, I just spend time and I get one company's worth of data if I'm successful. If I attack the IT provider, I can get multiple companies' worth of data potentially. I have access to it and their systems and any IP that they may have. I think that's what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think we're seeing a lot of that occurring, not only with MSP and IT service providers, but if you look at all the supply chain attacks that have been happening as of late, a lot of the targets are the IT service providers and MSPs. It's because of the shared infrastructure that is occurring within an IT service provider. Okay. Any other aspects of that? Why it would be good if I'm a hacker? Why I would want to target them? Well, let's say if you're an IT service provider, you have, you do have a, a shared infrastructure. So let's say you're using something like a software as a service cloud, uh, and then you're doling that same service out to 30 of your clients. Uh, perhaps the security practices aren't uh, as tight around that cloud solution that you're offering, perhaps also uh, you're integrating with your client's networks, and that may not be buttoned up as well as it should be. And also within the IT service provider, I do want to note that third-party IT providers have employees who have access to sensitive client information, and they too can cause what's often termed as an insider threat. Now, these employees could compromise, whether through accident or intention, through social engineering, perhaps some sort of bribery or coercion, and that could cause significant damage. So not only is the IT service provider, MSP infrastructure at risk, but also the employees that work for the IT service provider 
may do something well, a little kludgy that could lead to an exfiltration of data or some sort of hack. So it sounds like there could be a lot of risks with having the quote-unquote wrong provider, one who doesn't have the right kind of robust security practices in place. And if I'm a small, mid-sized manufacturer, you know, IT and cybersecurity is not my core competency, right? I'm a plastic injection molder, or I'm a metal bender, or I'm a CNC shop, or I'm food production. That's my core competency. But I need to have a way of vetting my IT provider to make sure that they have all these things in place, no? Oh, absolutely. And what happens is generally, I mean, I get that a small manufacturer just wants to focus on their core competency. I get that. What the tendency, though, is to pitch those items that you need done in terms of cybersecurity over the wall and then do that full trust to an IT provider or SMM because perhaps they have a good reference from the person across the street or a nice business card. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Once an SMM decides to really focus on the cybersecurity needs. They really need to work on the service level agreements, not only what they need, but what the provider can provide. And look at those gaps in services that the IT provider that they're choosing. The best process for an SMM to select a IT provider is to first determine all of their needs in terms of IT management, as well as cybersecurity management, list those out and then create a matrix in order to design a service level agreement, perhaps with an IT service provider. Perhaps you even use that as a scoring so they can uh, review their existing IT service provider, or perhaps even hire a new IT service provider. Got it, got it. And then the service level agreement would specify things like in the event that the server is down, we will have a tech on you know, on site or a tech working on the problem within X time and be, be back up within X time. Is that the kind of thing a service level agreement does? Yeah, that's one of the aspects. Another critical aspect, since we deal with a lot of SMMs who work with the Department of Defense in terms of their contracts, is the incident reporting when you get to an incident, let's say an incident happens at an IT provider or the IT provider recognizes that something happened on the network that involves the SMM, SMM's data, uh, it's, it really gets down to how does that get reported? Does the IT provider report it? Uh, does the SMM report it? Really, it should be the SMM but that really kind of dials out to that service level agreement. We've had incidents where, let's say, some data was exfiltrated by an MSP, something happened, mm -hmm. an incident occurred, and they waited a bit too long to let the SMM know that some of their data was breached. In fact, when you're working on a DOD contract, the SMM is required to report to the DIBNET, the Defense Industrial Base Network, within 72 hours of incident occurring. So if the MSP or IT service provider sort of sits on their hands about it, it could be a huge contractual risk for the SMM, but also a significant risk for the DIBNET as well. Right, right. 
So, so having those service level agreements and understanding what contractual terms that an SMM may have with different government or different agencies or different customers, have, making sure those terms are reflected in service level agreements sounds like something that's going to be very important. Yes, absolutely. Got it. Okay. So we're not here to bash IT service providers, obviously, no. right? So let's kind of step back for just a minute and talk about the pros and cons. So, you know, what are the pros and cons of hiring an IT service provider? I mean, like I said before, not my core competency. I'd assume that I get a higher level of expertise and I only have it part-time. What are some of the other benefits? Well, you know, I do sound a little bit negative going into this, but I do want to let you know that there are a lot of very competent IT service providers out there. A lot of them bring into the table a great amount of expertise. They have a lot of knowledgeable professionals who keep mm-hmm. up with the latest trends, the security measures, all the technical issues. Oftentimes, also another item is cost efficiency. Rather than hiring a full-time in-house IT team, let's say if you're an SMM with 25 employees, you're not going to go out and hire two or three IT people because that'll be quite expensive. So cost-wise, it may be more efficient to hire an outside IT service provider. A scalability, you know, as the business grows, as let's say I've worked with a company that actually during the pandemic, their business grew from about 20 employees to 35, which is a significant piece of growth. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did have, they do have a a robust IT provider. And rather than uh, scaling up on their own, uh, the IT service provider could manage that scale up and they were able to work with the company to do that. 24-7 support. Now, if you're an SMM, you could have, you know, eight to five working hours or maybe two shifts, but you might not have that 24-7, 365 support that an IT service provider has. And also, like you mentioned before, it's not their core competency. You, when you hire an IT service provider, you're hiring that core competency. You're outsourcing that core competency that that IT provider can give you as an SMM. Got it. Got it. Okay. So those are all the good things. Yeah. I'll list a few cons, if you will. The lack of control, for example, when you're outsourcing, you're placing trust in the hands of an external entity. And that's why I'm saying that service level agreement really needs to be buttoned up so you know as the SMM who does what when something occurs that's really dialed in. There's also a potential for a lower prioritization. And what I mean is the provider has multiple clients. You know, I mentioned 2030s for some. Uh, Your business might not be their top priority. This could potentially lead to a slower response time or less personalized service. Again, this dials back to that service level agreement. Security risk. We talked about some of the security risk. When you're sharing sensitive data, if you're having an external company manage that external data, you want to make sure that's buttoned up. So if there is an incident that has occurred at that IT provider who manages 30 SMMs, for example, that your data has been securely buttoned up at least. A communication, I would say that's probably one of the more significant problems that I've seen between IT service providers and SMMs. Uh, there needs to be that con- constant and persistent 
communication between the IT service provider and the SMM. And that kind of relates to the dependency. There's also one other thing that I can think of is lock-in. A lot of times, and this has happened with a couple of our clients when they've been switching, they decided to switch from one IT service provider to another. So we've experienced, I've seen this uh, firsthand, unfortunately, with our SMMs when they've switched. What lock-in is, the IT service provider may be using very specialized hardware, software, what have you, to do that management. And if you're switching from that service provider to another, the other service provider may not have that matching software. That would be part of the contractual agreement, that service level agreement as well. So to disallow that vendor lock-in, if you will, with an IT service provider. So I would say that kind of is a an overview of the cons of hiring an IT service provider. Got it. Got it. Okay. So we've talked about a lot so far. We've covered, you know, what IT service providers are, or MSPs are, the, the range of services that they, they can offer. We've talked a little bit about the service, the importance of the service level agreements. We've talked a little bit about why they're a prime target for bad actors. Let's get you know, a little more focused on the cyber aspects of this. What should the role of a third-party IT provider be in preventing a cyber attack for an SMM they serve? That's a good question. Well, a third-party IT provider does play pretty critical role in preventing cyber attacks for the SMM. The role can be actually, I kind of look at it as dividing it into a couple of key areas. First off, evaluating the risk. The service provider is expected to examine the SMM system to pinpoint potential weak points. This could encompass an analysis of the software they use, the hardware, the SMM's networks, along with a review and habits and protocols followed by the company's personnel. Now I'm talking policy procedures, so there could be that linkage that uh, the SMM has with the IT service provider. The IT service provider can provide that evaluation. Another area is that the IT service provider can help with building the security infrastructure. This can involve, you know, the inception, the execution, the sustainment of security measures, things like firewalls, intrusion detection systems, encryption methods, secured communication channels. Those are some concepts that come to mind. Uh, the service provider might also be in charge of designing and managing secure backup systems. And that's very much needed, not only in terms of cybersecurity, but also uh, restoring systems if an event does happen. Another item is that an IT provider can help with is training. Service provider it can be tasked with training staff in, in terms of principles of data security. We call that cyber hygiene. Another one is, and we support this as well, the compliance and policy oversight. Uh, the service provider is required to really comply with DFARS. Now, I'm going to make a special note on DFARS requirements. DFARS is uh, part of the Federal Acquisition Regulation System for Defense, if you will. And what I'm dialing into is, again, our SMMs that we work with 
Most of them are DOD contractors. So they work with uh, special data, let's say sensitive data called controlled, unclassified information, CUI. And this sensitive data sometimes is managed by the IT service provider. So the IT service provider is also required to follow those regulations since they're handling that data. So also, and that gets into one other item I do want to mention. Well, there's actually a couple. When you're hiring an IT service provider, you want to make sure that you have, again, that SLA dialed in to who manages and responds to cybersecurity incident. Should a cybersecurity attack occurs, the external IT provider must have a predetermined incident response plan that connects the SMM to that incident as well. And further, the IT provider must notify the SMM to address any what's called DibNet reporting requirements. I mentioned 72 hours. I've got a list of a couple other items that come to mind. The IT service providers <laughs> in charge of the supervision and the upgrade management for the SMM's infrastructure that we see software upgrades always being applied. The IT provider would be responsible for applying that patch management as well as upgrading any firewall or hardware in the infrastructure. The IT service provider must also supervise their third-party vendors. Now think of it this way. When you hire an IT service provider, they may not have, you know, 300 people on staff with all gobs of hardware. They may be outsourcing items on their behalf as well. So with it, when an SMM hires an IT service provider, that IT service provider may dole out some additional services threaded within their offerings. So if the SMM has CUI, there's a cascading effect that CUI is that sensitive government data that the IT service provider is managing, you have to make sure as an SMM, you have to know where your data is going. Where is the IT service provider doling out that data? So you have to do that deep thread cutting. So also, and what's important is planning for business continuity. We've had SMMs who've contacted us to support their cybersecurity after they've been locked up with ransomware, let's say, for example. We've looked at their business continuity planning to support them with that. An IT service provider really needs to be dialed in in terms of backups and restore process. If somebody gets locked up, you know, we all know that ransomware is like one of the big things now. If, if an SMM gets locked up with ransomware, how does that IT service provider get them up and running in terms of business continuity. So that's a key factor. So in short, a third party, and there's probably many other aspects that I've missed, but a third party IT provider should be pretty proactive in terms of working with the SMM against cyber threats. They'll need to be vigilant, pretty flexible, and constantly updating their knowledge and their tools to keep pace with evolving cybersecurity threats and defense strategies that the SMM is compelled to be tightened up with 
in terms of their contract as well. So there's that articulation that I'm really emphasizing between the SMM and the IT provider, especially if it's around the DOD uh, defense sensitive in information. Got it. So there's a long list, it sounds, and I've been kind of taking some notes here. So uh, I heard you say in terms of, you know, the role for an IT provider on preventing cyber attacks, it's everything from evaluating risks. Uh, what are the different points, you know, weak points within the, the SMM systems, building the security infrastructure to make sure you've got the, the right things in place like firewalls and things, doing the training of both their internal people at the provider as well as the client people, making sure they have, you know, compliance and, and policy oversight in place, responding and reporting incidents, making sure that the, the service level agreements are in place to make sure that the SMM's contractual requirements with any government agencies are going to be fulfilled through that process. Supervision of, of upgrades, making sure that the latest patches are loaded, that they're closing any of the identified weaknesses in given software and hardware systems, and then supervising third-party vendors, and then having a business continuity plan. There's a, a lot of work in all of that, it sounds like. Oh, you bet. And, and I probably have not covered everything, but you can see the depth and breadth of the situation that the SMM is facing in that term. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, so if I'm an SMM, I should be looking for at least that list is what I hear you saying. At least that list. Yes. Awesome. Ron, you mentioned CUI a minute ago, and I want to make sure there's people have it. CUI, Control and Unclassified Information. Perfect. So if an SMM is a victim of a cyber attack, how would a third-party IT provider help them? That's a great question. An SMM can benefit from the assistance of a third-party IT provider in several ways after suffering from a cyber attack. The steps taken can vary depending on the nature of the attack, the SMM's existing system, and recovery plans. Again, I'm referring back to the service level agreement that the SMM has with the IT provider. Some potential steps include things like the incident response. The first step would be to quickly understand what happened. I've talked about the CUI, the controlled unclassified information that the SMM receives from the DOD. The IT provider may be supporting that. So the first step is to understand what happened if the incident involved CUI. And you've got that 72-hour window that the SMM is on the hook for. So the IT provider really needs to jump in promptly, and that's, again, the SLA, in order to identify the nature and the extent of this attack. This could include determining what systems were compromised, what information was accessed or perhaps lost or locked up, and how the attacker gained access to the system. Now, that's, that's the initial concept. The other one is containment. So you don't want the, if an incident is occurring, you don't want that as an IT provider or the SMM to be propagating throughout your network. After assessing the situation, the IT provider would need to take immediate action to prevent further damage, perhaps further exfiltration of the data. This could involve taking the affected systems offline, removing malware or other malicious code, and closing any security gaps that were used in the attack. 
Also, recovery. This is business continuity, if you will. The IT service provider would then help the SMM recover after the attack. That would be part of the SLA. You want to make sure that your backups are in place, that they were tested. If something happened to your system as an SMM, you want them restored within a certain period of time so you don't lose production time. This might involve restoring systems and data from backups, hopefully if they're available, rebuilding systems from scratch. If the customer or employee data was lost, the provider might also assist with steps to mitigate the impact, let's say such as credit monitoring services for affected individuals. We do have some SMMs that not only work with DOD, but also do consumer front end type of compliance and they take credit cards as well. One of the other items is forensics and reportings. And in some cases, it's important to conduct more detailed forensic investigation. In matter of fact, in terms of the Department of Defense, it's required to retain audit logs for a certain period of time because let's say if you're an SMM, the FBI could come by and visit you and say, hey, we need your audit logs from that incident you reported three months ago because we're following a cybercrime group because they've attacked 15 other DOD suppliers. So that could be, that's certainly an important aspect of that forensics and reporting. The IT provider could also help with any required reporting for the breach. For example, they could have firewall logs that may be part and parcel of the investigation that is needed later on. And finally, the IT provider can help with the prevention and education of the SMM in terms of mitigating any future incidents that might occur, uh, just be based on the lack of knowledge that the SMM doesn't have because that's not their whole bailiwick, it's the IT providers. I would say that uh, it's important to note that it has to be a very proactive approach to cybersecurity, including uh, regularly scheduled audits between the SMM and the IT service provider just to make sure that everything is in lockstep with the service level agreement. Uh, employee training on both the SMM and IT provider side has to be persistently and consistently done. And uh, the creation and monitoring of an active incident response plan, everyone should know about that incident response plan and who needs to be called up at one particular time to determine that incident, and that would also help prevent attacks or at least lessen the possibility of those attacks occurring. Okay, so a number of things in my notes as I'm listening to, and from if you're the victim of a cyber attack, you would want your third-party IT provider to be prepared to do all of the following, right? Incident response, understanding what happened, containment to make sure that if it's still in progress, that it's not propagating through a larger system or a larger network, or even worse, outside of your network into customers or suppliers or those kind of things. Uh, recovery, you know, stopping it, containing it, but then getting back up and running, right? If it takes two weeks to get up and running, your business is doing nothing for two weeks, that's not good either, right? So there's a recovery aspect of it. You know, forensics, forensics and reporting, having data available for any agencies or entities that would, that would need that data as part of uh, an investigation, 
And then prevention and education piece to make sure that everybody understands what happened and how to make make sure it doesn't happen again. Is that kind of the synopsis of them all? Yeah, I would say that's a synopsis. Okay. So if these are the right things to happen after, is there a practicing or drilling of it that should be done? Should you simulate it to make sure that the plan works and, and you know, kind of water test it type of thing? Absolutely. The incident response plan, what the SMM should consider doing is, you know, walk through their own incident response plan, build that out, and then afterwards engage with the IT service provider and have them work on their own incident response plan, articulate those two pieces together. And I'll tell you why that incident response plan is really yeah, and you had mentioned, of course, testing it out. But one of the key aspects is if you're an SMM, you're thinking like I would if I'm, I owned a small manufacturing organization. I would think about my data, my employees, my production, uh, that whole nine yards. And I would cons- be concerned, very concerned about my data and making sure that doesn't get exfiltrated or locked up. But also the SMM needs to put on Another hat, what if your data is being managed by that SMM and they're locked up, nothing's gone wrong on your side of the fence, but all of a sudden the the IT service provider, all of your data is locked up on their side of the fence and the data from all 30 SMMs that they're working with is also locked up. So that incident response plan needs to be articulated on both sides of the fence. From your Got side, it's as an SMM, yeah, and their side. And then you want to see, hmm, as an SMM, I can run through steps one through 15. And now on, on the articulated side of the IT service provider, maybe they have 20 steps to do. How do those fit together? And once you have that dialed in as an SMM, the IT service provider should be able to respond pretty quickly. But as you mentioned, you definitely want to have some test cases that where you run through some scenarios. Let's say you can take ransomware. What happens if I have, so you'll run through a scenario where all of a sudden your systems are locked up because of ransomware. You'll work together with the IT provider and say, okay, we're going to run this test case through. How does this work? How does the forensics work? How does the analysis, who's going to respond to the DivNet? And how is all the forensics uh, capturing going to happen? What happens with that scenario? And if there are any gaps with that testing, you want to make sure that those are patched up before an incident occurs. Because chances are, I hate to say it, there will be incident if you're running an organization that, whether it's minor or hopefully not, but whether it's major or minor, you might run into an incident probably within the next uh, year, year and a half. And that's really based on some stats that are out in the public, if you will. So you do want to make sure those that incident response plan is not only articulated with your IT service provider, but well-tested and refined. Got it. So I hear you saying that there's two kind of two sides to this coin also. By using a third-party provider, two kind of scenarios can happen, right? One is I get hacked as a small mid-sized manufacturer. The other is my IT services provider gets hacked. If I'm hacked and they're working on it, then I'm assuming, you know, more likely that many of or all of their resources are solving the problem for me. If they get hacked, they've got 20, 30, 50, 100 clients to manage on top of trying to manage the problem, right? So it'd be totally different 
turnaround times, if you will, because just, just from manpower and resources. Is that kind of an accurate way of thinking about it, or am I just... That is spot on. And here's where the DOD has what's called a flow-down clause. So if I'm an SMM and I take CUI, that controlled, unclassified information, that specific sensitive data in terms to you know support a project that I'm working on, Let's say I'm working on F-16 parts. So those are very sensitive parts that right. the specifications are all called CUI. I put that on. I pitch it over to an IT service provider who's managing that data. And herein is another caveat. That IT service provider could say, well, I can give you all these services, but behind their scenes, they might even be using another IT service provider. So it's a cascading effect. So your data, you're, you're <laughs> wow. giving it to, yeah, it could be, you don't, all of a sudden you're saying, well, I'm using a California IT service provider. Next thing you know, their storage is in Indiana and some other processing is in Canada, hopefully not in something like Singapore or, right, right, <laughs> or, or right. right. <laughs> yeah. But you get the impact is there's that cascading effect because it really, as an IT service provider, it's a little more difficult to stand up a 100% full service in one location. You don't really want to do that because then you're at other risk. So let's say getting back to the SMM receiving the CUI data, there's that flow down clause. SMM is required to button up that CUI, make sure no one can take it. Uh, make sure it's encrypted and stored safely. If they pitch it over the wall to an IT service provider who might be using other IT service providers, you as an SMM are required to ensure that that IT service provider you're using is also in concert and is using those same restrictions that you are obligated to by contract. Got so it. you are, that's that flow down clause. You're receiving that special data. You're pitching it over the, the fence to the IT service provider, along with you pitching it over the fence to the IT service provider. You have to ensure that that service level agreement with the IT service provider carries that specific protection for CUI that you as an SMM are responsible for. So you get to pass that over and with a contractual agreement, the IT service provider will say, yep, I'll make sure it's all passed on and they have to also flow down to their IT service providers that they may use. Got it. So I'm an SMM. I hire MSP Incorporated, right? Yep. Is my third party provider. MSP has a relationship with a cloud storage provider in Indiana. They also have one at a network maintenance and provider in Georgia and three others across the country. They have to pass the same service level agreements and reporting requirements and everything down because of flow down to all of those. Yes. So it said the parent, child, parent, child, parent, child over and over again until everybody is covered. Is that, that correct? That's exactly correct. And there's another caveat though, in part of that passing down that flow down, to all the service providers that may be connected. Part of that is what's is to ensure that anyone that's in that 
food chain, that supply chain of service providers is used, if they're using cloud services, that they use what's called FedRAMP moderate cloud services, which is a specific type of cloud service. It's just not, you know, you and I can go out and get cloud services, uh, just pay $30 a month and get some cool tools and backup and just maybe run a t-shirt business. That's not sufficient enough. The, that FedRAMP moderate is a federally tested third parties cloud service where it ensures that that cloud service is buttoned up and it can't be easily hacked. So as I'm passing my data down, part of that data flow down from IT service provider to subsequent IT service providers is to ensure that anyone using cloud service in that food chain is also using FedRAMP moderate in their cloud service provisions. Got it. Got it. So, so there can be some detailed requirements and qualifications that have to be passed down. So it's yes. important to really understand everything that's in those contracts that are subject to DFARS. And yes. again, DFARS is Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So many SMMs don't have the internal resources to handle their own cyber IT, right? Not a core competency, et cetera. What are some of the ways they can make sure they're hiring the right provider if they don't have one yet, or that the one they have is the right one? What are some of those things you would look for? Well, that's actually, that's kind of the crux where I started, where we talked to 83 of our SMMs and we narrowed it down to a focus for 10. We came up with a list, uh, really, and I, I, I want to kind of highlight a couple of items on that list is for the SMM, you really want to first off understand your particular needs. You want to define what you need before you start looking for, or if you want to examine your current service provider, you need to understand the scope, the scale, and the specific requirements of your IT needs. Now, I'll just mention this. Sometimes you may need a third-party consultant, for example, to help you with those that understanding because it's not your bailiwick. So you, for example, in terms of understanding your needs, what problems are you trying to solve? Certainly the security of that sensitive data. Are you looking for a specific expertise in the cybersecurity realm? Let's say we've had some of our clients, for example, have a little bit of an IT department, but they may not have had that cybersecurity expertise. Or are you looking for that whole bailiwick from an IT service provider. For the DOD in particular, if you're a DOD SMM, you'll need to make sure uh, that the NIST SP800-171R2, now that's a whole list of cybersecurity compliance that is 110 controls that supports the DFARS. So in, let me talk one second about that. So if you're accepting CUI, from the DOD, you are required to comply with the DFARS regulations, which are kind of embodied by the NIST SP-800-171. So what DFARS did basically is they pitched over the regulations to NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, to write all the necessary documentation that then applies to the DFARS. So that's, that's another food chain, if you will. So you want to understand your needs. 
What do you need in terms of IT support? What do you need in terms of cybersecurity? If you're accepting DOD data, then you'll have to comply with the NIST S-800-171 and future CMMC. Secondly, you want to look at the experience and the expertise of the provider. Does the provider have substantial experience in the field? And I mentioned this because we've had some IT providers that are more focused, let's say, on, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek, but like the bagel shop and setting up cash registers and putting a, a back-end office. And all of that's fine and well, but if you're looking at some, uh, securing data, that may not be the provider you want to go for. So you want to look at the experience and their expertise. Also, third item, you want to look at the range of services. Now, we talked earlier on that there's a whole list of items that an IT service provider can offer you. Some offer two or three, some offer 20. So you want to look at the range of services that a service provider can offer you as an SMM. The fourth item on my list is security. You want to check how the provider handles security. Ask about their security policies, their measures, their certifications, and how they deal with threats. So some general questions about threats and security, and even you can dial in more specific requests about how they handle private data, PII, how they handle sensitive data, perhaps like CUI, and what's their background in handling CUI data. And a fifth item I like to focus on, and I keep mentioning this, apologies, is the service level agreement is you can ask the provider about their service level agreement. They may have some generalized templates that they use and then they then customize that along with you. Also, you want to talk to them about their customer support. Is it 24-7, 365? Again, you'll have to ask about, let's see, the cost factor as well. The scalability in terms of can they grow when you grow? We've seen some service provider that may that have two or three employees when an SMM starts growing rapidly, as sometimes they do. The service provider might say, well, you're outstripping what we can do. Not based on our cost uh, matrix, we might either have to recost things or we just can't support you. So scalability is pretty darn important. And one of the things I, I'd look for, just like a job interview, I would look for any references that they have, any reviews. It's not only just hiring. We've had a couple of SMMs who hired an IT service provider just based on word of mouth, somebody they knew in the industry that's maybe across the street. Look at their references. Look at their reviews. Also, pricing, that's an important item for SMMs. Certainly, we want to be not only cybersecurity aware as well as cybersecurity risk adverse, but we want to look at the pricing as well. And last, I want to emphasize the compliance and the certification. The IT service provider should be compliant with the necessary regulations. Certainly the NIST 800-171, the DFAR standards, but you might also, if you're working as an SMM with a consumer information as well. You want to make sure that their CCPA, that's the California Consumer Privacy Act, that they can, can support that 
if they're working with credit cards, it could be PCI DSS, which is another set of standards. So that's where you have to look at your environment and kind of match up what you're doing as an SMM, not only supporting the DOD, but you could have consumer stuff. How does that kind of match with your cybersecurity, your IT service provider, and do they have the certifications? Do they have the bandwidth to support you? And keeping these factors in mind, SMMs can hire the right provider that suits their unique needs. It takes a little bit of time and effort. I know we've been talking about a lot of effort, but I really think that this initial effort uh, may take you know, several weeks, even if it's a couple of months. But if you have that dialed in, you know as an SMM that your IT provider can really support you and support you quite well. It's quite an impressive list here. And from my notes, I'm going to try to just kind of recap them really quickly. But it sounds like you know, whether I'm looking at a new provider or I am want to kind of do a scorecard on my current one, this list would be pretty useful. So number one, start with your own needs. Understand what it is you need in terms of, of IT support. And then look at the provider's experience and expertise. I mean, do, do they have the expertise in your field? Do they know specifically, or is this something new for them, right? What is their range of services? Do they cover everything that meets that list of needs that you identified in step one? You know, what are their security policies? What are their service level agreements? What's their level of customer support and responsiveness? How do they scale? Or can they grow with your business? Or are you going to exceed them? You know, you have a one-man show handling 10 clients, and if you grow, it's going to not work for them, right? So are they able to scale as your business grows? You know, what are the references? What does their pricing look like? And then, you know, what are their compliance and certification aspects? This sounds like a pretty good scorecard that I could use for evaluating current or looking at new. Is there anything not, not mentioned on that list? Oh, I'm Ooh. sure I've left something off, but I think it's um, that's a pretty good initial pass at it. Yes. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, uh, uh, I, th I think we will, for our listeners, we will make these lists that uh, Dr. Ron is mentioning today available on the website, CMTC website, on the transcript session for this podcast. So, Ron, a long list of things talked about there. When considering a third-party IT provider, as I'm evaluating current or future one, what are some of the red flags that I would look for? What are the things that make me say, hmm, maybe I should look for someone else? Well, this is where I would... Again, look at references as well as perhaps contacting other SMMs and see what their experience has been with a particular IT service provider. And again, you want to look at a whole gamut, not just one or two. You could possibly look at three to five service providers when you're looking for a service provider to support you. But one of the aspects that we've really want run into is when a service provider seems to be going a little bit wonky, it is really kind of around the lack of clear communication between the IT service provider and the SMM. Now, the provider isn't responsive or doesn't communicate clearly and effectively. This certainly could be a sign of problems to come. You know, you would think if you're on a 72-hour hook, you know, when an incident occurs and they're I had one IT provider as an example. They said, oh, we're only eight to five Monday through Friday. On the weekends, it's extra cost. And 
you can't call me on the weekend. You just leave a message. And if I come in, I come in. It's like, what? And let's, <laughs> a lot of it. Yeah, it's a little wacky. So yeah. obviously. So an incident occurs Friday at 6 p.m. You got 72 hours to report it and they don't find out about it till Monday type of thing. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Wow. And so a lot of the hacks actually, interestingly enough, are launched oh. on Friday evening. Isn't that weird? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, human behavior, right? We all want to go home for the weekend. Yeah. So the and so the attackers are launching their attacks when they know humans won't be around to mitigate that. So you want to make sure that you have a clear communication that twenty four seven three sixty five or something of that nature that really supports that robust communication. If an incident does occur, especially if your data is being hosted by the IT service provider, you don't want to know Monday morning if it's been hacked on Friday night at 11 p.m., right? right? You're 60 that, hours in potentially, right? You're 60 exactly. hours into your 72 window. You got 12 hours to figure out to contact people, and, and you're jumping through hoops in a fire drill situation trying to get up and running. Yeah, exactly. And since another item is, you know, you have every SMM has kind of a unique way of doing business. You want to make sure that your IT service provider offers uh, customized solutions. They may offer a one-size-fits-all solution, and that may have may cause you to modify your policies, procedures, and processes. Do you want to do that? So you want to check for customized solutions if that's possible. If they have no references, if this is their first time out, they might be operating out of a garage somewhere. <laughs> So you want to make sure their references are pretty robust. If they have no long-term contracts or other customers, that could be a red flag as well. Again, that's the lack of experience or expertise, especially dealing with uh, sensitive data, whether it's the DOD data or the, I mentioned PCI DSS, that's a standard for credit cards. If they have insufficient resources, for example, if I say, oh, I need X number of terabytes of backup storage, log services, blah, blah, blah. If they can't support that, let's say what's called SIM technology in terms of uh, looking at all your logs, uh, kind of coalescing them and determining if there's some sort of a incidents that are occurring on your system. If they can't support that, then you might want to move forward with that as well. So the insufficient resources on their behalf may be a serious red flag. If they don't have a disaster recovery plan either, because you can, as an SMM that's hiring an IT service provider, say, let me look at your disaster recovery plan. If they don't have one, big red flag. If they have a lack of regular training or their employees and their employees don't have any particular certifications that they can demonstrate, that is another red flag. Their training is lacking. If they don't have a proactive maintenance strategy, you can say, well, let me see what your software patch management is, as an example, for your systems on the IT service provider side. If they don't have that, that's a huge red flag. If there's no transparency in billing, that's another red flag. I, I had one client of ours come to me and they said, they just started with us and they said, hey, Ron, my IT service provider is charging me $6,500. And I looked at, it was just one line item 
It said firewall, 6500 No detail. I'm going $6,500 for a firewall. This was a small SMM. So I asked them to go back to the provider and get a lot of detail. So you want that detail and that transparency in billing, not just a, you know, it's almost like when you're doing house maintenance. If your contractor says, oh, I'm going to charge you $15,000 for fixing your house, and they don't give you what that list is, that's a big red flag. So you want that kind of transparency. You also want to know what cloud-based services they're using. You want to make sure that Whatever cloud-based services that they are using are FedRAMP moderate compliance, and that complies with what's called BFAR 7010 clause. You also want to make sure that they are also the NIST SP 800-171 R2 compliant. In the future, that's going to be called CMMC, and that refers to the flow-down discussion where we've been talking about. So all of those red flags, if they don't have these items in place, you might want to second guess the use of that IT service provider because they're not really beefed up enough. There may be sufficient for handling, you know, the mom and pop store that you might frequent down that uh, may, you know, serve you gelato and stuff like that, but maybe not your sensitive data. So, Ron, that's a great list of information, and I think much of it is intuitive as, you, as you've described it and we've gone through. So I'm not going to recap it here, but it will be available to our listeners on the website, on the CMTC website, for anybody who wants to take a look at that list and use it as a reference point as they work through things. So thank you very much for that. Next question, I think, is, you know, what is a shared responsibility model, and what are some of the best practices SMMs can follow when developing one? Well, this is really a good point. If you're hiring somebody, or if you're working with an existing IT service provider, you'll want to build a shared responsibility model. So a shared responsibility model is a framework that defines basically the responsibilities for each of the two parties, or you may have more that are engaging in the security management and compliance of a system service or, or data. So let's assume that you're only using one. So I'll just say the one IT service provider. We've actually had a few clients that had multiple service providers, but that gets into a, a quite a complex situation. But let's say one, that's pretty much the common. So shared responsibility model, let's say if you're handling controlled unclassified information between the SMM and the IT service provider, the IT service provider will typically outline their respective responsibilities from their perspective of each party, let's say with the SMM. And likewise, the SMM will also map out the, uh, what their responsibilities are, as well as what the IT service provider. It's a negotiation. The SMM might say, well, I want you to manage all my hardware and software and make sure the network infrastructure is fine but I'll manage these three computers, but you'll manage the other 40. The IT service provider will say, okay, I'll do that. And I'll make sure your network is a layered, what we call layered architecture. So there's that back and forth of who does what that share responsibility. The SMM will also look at the uh, classification and categorization of CUI based data based on the contract requirements from the DFARS clauses. 
primarily as an example, CMTC works with the SMM. This sounds a little bit like an advertisement, but this would give you kind of an idea. We typically work with an SMM to provide training that supports the SMM cybersecurity posture. We look at the controls. We make sure that the SMM has those dialed in as well as their IT service provider as a separate set of trainings, if you will. Well, access control, the SMM manages access control mechanisms, including user authentication, authorization, and privilege management for the CUI information. They could pass that over to the IT service provider. The physical security as well, the, both sides also need a security set of policies and procedures. So that's an agreement that needs to be dialed in. Risk management. Now, risk management is often glossed over, but really you want to look at risk asset management as well. You want to determine what each risk category each asset in your organization has. For example, your computers, your file servers, your firewalls, et cetera. You also want to make sure on the other side, on the IT service provider, they have that risk asset management dialed in. The incident response, we named that a couple of times through our presentation. That's an articulated agreement. The IT service provider also, you want to make sure their infrastructure security is dialed in for all of their servers, their networks. You want to make sure that they're not using a flat network architecture as well. Their system configuration, you want to make sure everything's hardened. If they're using, again, cloud-based, that it's FedRAMP moderate, it complies with uh, the DFAR 7010 cloud computing requirements. That they're also doing patch management, they're doing security monitoring. That their backup and recovery is dialed in. You'd be surprised. They might be doing backup and recovery for you as an SMM, but maybe their backup and recovery is not as robust, as secure as you'd want them to be. And also the compliance measures. So we've got a lot of dancing back and forth with that articulation between what we typically term as a shared responsibility model. If I can recap, the shared re responsibility model is a list of your expectation objectives on your side as an SMM. The IT provider should have a similar list. Then you come together, marry those to make sure there are no gaps in that list and that if there are gaps, that those are addressed. Got it. So it sounds like it's a two-part thing, right? The SMM has responsibilities, the IT service provider has responsibilities, and you really need to, to, to map those out, articulate them clearly, and then work through comparing them to make sure that everything is coherent and coordinated. Yes. Excellent. So how can an SMM make sure that their third-party IT provider is following best practices? Again, this boils down to that wonderful term I keep mentioning, the service level agreement. Now, the service level agreement, I've seen, I've worked with some of our SMMs before where there's service level agreements that they received from the IT service provider was like three or four lines. It really needs to be a really comprehensive document. And that comprehensive document embodies things like a regular audit and reviews. So the SMM would periodically review what their IT service provider is providing 
to them. And that system audit would also determine how responsive that IT service provider is, how they're actually managing their own systems. If they become out of scope, how that IT service provider will fill that gap. And let's say if they're not patching their systems frequently enough, how that gap will be managed. That's part of the service level agreement. The security policies ensure that the IT provider complies with your own company's security policies. Now, if you're on the hook for BFARS, as well as I'll throw in the, the PCI DSS credit card stuff. I mean, I mean that's sort of side from what we really do. But let's say if you're on the hook as an SMM for the DFARS, your DOD stuff, as well as a PCI DSS because you're accepting credit cards, you want to make sure that your IT service provider is continually up to date with those two standards as an example, that their security policies are dialed in constantly. The compliance and standards for example, the flow down, the SP800-171, I mentioned that for the CUI, the secure sensitive data that the C, that DOD passes on to you as an SMM. You want to make sure that they're constantly in compliance. Now, let me mention one thing about when I say constantly in compliance. There's 110 controls with the NIST SP800-171 that the SMM is mandated, is required by law and by contract to comply with. And let's say if a firewall gets changed out or three or four computers gets changed out, before those get changed out, let's say if you've got all 110 controls checkmarked as, yes, we're in compliance. Once you change something in the environment, those all of a sudden you're out of compliance for those few items until you make sure they're buttoned up in terms of encryption, security, and then you can you might drop down below that 110 set of controls down to let's say 85, then you have to build back up to the 110. On the IT provider side, likewise, they're constantly changing things to support their 30 other SMMs, let's say they're changing out firewalls, they're changing out hardware and software, so they fall in and out of compliance. You want to make sure that they're constantly striving to achieve full compliance on their side with the SP-800-171. Another item is disaster recovery and business continuity planning. You want to make sure you're dialed in. That's tested as well. Regular communication and reporting, not just with a billing cycle. Unfortunately, we see some of that they, the only time they hear from their IT provider is when they receive their monthly bill. That's not a good thing. There should be a regular meeting where you report on issues you have as an SMM and where the IT provider, quite frankly, might say, okay, we've had some problems, but here's how we've mitigated them. Or we've had some changes in our environment. We fell short of compliance. Now we're back up to compliance because we made some changes. Other things that you want to look at is ongoing training and updates. And again, we call this a vendor risk assessment. You want to conduct a thorough vendor risk assessment before engaging with a third-party IT provider. And I want to mention this as well. Exit strategy. You always want to make sure you're dialed in with some sort of plan for exiting 
I had mentioned uh, like a vendor lock-in where if an IT provider is using unique software, maybe they put stuff in a weird format, an unusual format. And if you exit, you want to make sure that you get your data in a format or it's always stored in a format that is more common. So if you do exit, you want to know the penalties. You want to know what your file status is, what your record status is so that you can transition over to another IT service provider pretty easily. You also want to know the costs. We had one IT service provider bill an SMM an exorbitant amount of money when they transitioned over to another IT service provider. Bottom line, this, unfortunately, the SMM said, well, I had to pay it. I didn't have it in my contract. Of course, I didn't know what all those extra charges were, and I, it was something done well before we were pulled on board, but you want to make sure your exit strategy when you transition from one to another, maybe you're transitioning because the service is better at another service provider, maybe the cost more cost effective, or maybe you had problems with an existing IT service provider, but you want to make sure that exit strategy, and I'm emphasizing that because I know that's a pain point. So these are some items that you want to consider. Okay. Again, a very detailed list of, you know, best practices to look for within your providers. And again, we'll make this available on the podcast page of the CMTC website. So Ron, we've covered an awful lot of ground today. Do you have any final thoughts or advice for SMMs? Yes. Especially when it becomes to contractual uh, working with the DOD, you want to work very actively on the NIST SP800-171R2 compliance that's what supports your DFARS regulations that you're obligated to. And keep in mind, it's just not a checklist. So as a one story, just, you know, we've gone in before to help support SMMs. One story is that I have several years back, one SMM, I walked in, they said, oh, we're already at 94% done. We just need your help with the 6%. I said, no, let's go through everything. By the time we went through everything, because we go through everything looking for not only the checklist compliance, but the cybersecurity resilience, they're really down to about 23%. And they were okay with that kind of hard and fast review that we did with them because they wanted to make sure that they're fully, not only compliant, but really cyber secure. Another item is if you're using a current IT provider, Make sure that they're using, that they're, they are in compliance with the SP-800-171 because you as DOD contractor in your contract and you are legally bound, and this gets back to something called the False Claims Act, you are legally bound by that contract to make sure your data is secure. And if you're passing it over the wall, to an IT service provider and you're signing off that you're secure and they're not, there's that flow down clause, you're on the hook. So you wanna make sure you're on the hook legally. Uh, you wanna make sure your IT service provider is buttoned up. And also I got two more thoughts. Remember that if you're using a cloud-based service or if your IT service is using a cloud-based service and you have CUI, data, again, I'm emphasizing FedRAMP moderate, you need to make sure 
you just can't throw it out on, you know, let's say some I drive somewhere <laughs> and assume that it's secure because it's probably not. Now, I want to mention this sounds a little bit like advertisement, this, but it, it really isn't. CMTC has worked with many SMMs who have used IT service providers. And again, about 80% of our SMMs use IT service providers. And that's kind of what we've done before. So these are some risks and suggestions that we have. We, I say that as uh, the CMTC's cyber team have for working with IT service providers in general. And uh, just let us know. Well, Ron, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your perspectives, insights, and expertise with me and with our listeners. Well, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for joining me for this conversation with Dr. Ron McFarland on managing the cybersecurity practices of IT providers. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you for listening to Shifting Gears, a podcast from CMTC. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and post it on your social media platforms. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast directory. For more information on our topic, please visit www.cmtc.com slash shifting gears. CMTC is a private nonprofit organization that provides technical assistance, workforce development, and consulting services to small and medium-sized manufacturers throughout the state of California. CMTC's mission is to serve as a trusted advisor, providing solutions that increase the productivity and competitiveness of California's manufacturers. CMTC operates under a cooperative agreement for the state of California with the Hollings Manufacturing Extension Partnership Program, MEP, at the National Institutes of Standards and Technology within the Department of Commerce. For more information about CMTC, please visit www.cmtc.com. For more information about the MEP National Network or to find your local MEP center, visit www.nist.gov forward slash MEP.